Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. talk about when we talk about justice and injustice and that's one of the questions that have come up when we do the lessons we're doing it takes a while to unroll and to answer questions and some will say well if if God's going to save most or all or however well then where's the justice for what's been done wrong well we can also see injustice all around us and we we cry out for justice we're going to talk about that but first, just a couple of things. First of all, if you have questions, like one question came across uh, this week, which I've heard many times because I asked it once myself. Whenever I started finding how our Bible was put together and how it was written, it, it rocked my boat a bit. And I th- thought, all right, now can I trust the story of Jesus? And I'm sitting here, so evidently I arrived at that conclusion. And we're going to work through that. We're going to talk about the evidence for Jesus We're going to talk about quality of evidence, the amount of evidence, the diversity of evidence, why evidence differs and why evidence matters. But we're going to do that mainly after Easter, a couple of weeks after Easter. We'll start that one. Right now, we're going to do this three series starting here, taking a look at the Bible through Jesus' eyes, and we're going to pick one particular concept and work through the next three weeks. Then we're going to talk about substitutionary atonement versus Christus Rex. Don't hang up. In other words, what did Jesus do on the cross and why does it matter? We're going to do that leading up to and including, um, well, up to Palm Sunday and Easter when we will tell our stories as we tell our stories because we believe the stories and they've changed our lives and change how we live with you. So if you have those questions, never hesitate to fire them off. I, will, I don't ignore them. Uh, While I answer you, I also put them in a little file. And as uh, anybody who's been in my office will let you know, there are working files sitting around that are accessed every day. Uh, It matters. We're going to answer them in detail. That said, this has been an amazing week. I, I got to do another one of our welcome home tours. I keep calling it a world tour, and it felt like that at times. But if your world exists of Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, it was a world tour. (laughs) But I I spoke to different groups of our Safe Harbor people every day, uh, save one, at around lunchtime, and every night for five nights. We had uh, anywhere from 20 to 300. I put up a bunch of pictures. I do plan to put up those pictures again, plus some other pictures I didn't put up, and just as a, you can have them. You know, and all these people said I could put them up, by the way. Believe it or not, there are places I go, and I understand fully, where when it comes times for the pictures, a couple people have to step out of the frame because if their church found out, they're in trouble. Uh, and so that's sad, but that's the reality. But we'll put up pictures. People are asking, where are you going next? Well, you know... I don't know. They've just answered for me. Um, but we also, 
we need the map to be populated. Now, what that means is, even if you're watching this every week, you're checking in. You might even have sent in an email, said, I want to be a member. Yay, you are. We don't know where you live. We need to have you send in your address and your contact info. And as the map populates, that shows me where to go next. So right now I'm thinking maybe Oklahoma and northern Texas. Uh, but also we've got people in East Tennessee down through Georgia. And what is it? 40 something towns and cities in Florida that have checked in. So I don't want to go to Florida in August. So it might be early. <laughs> Or it might be in the fall. But um, anyway, the Lord will, will guide us. And we pray. And thank you, uh, Eric, for talking about prayer. And thank you for your devotion. Very well said and done. Uh, last thing to say before we get into the lesson. Um, remember last week we applauded because we got excited. We got over 5,000 podcast downloads in one month. And that's going from zero, what was that, six months, seven months ago, something like that. Uh, we just got the last 30 days, and it's over 6,000. It continues to grow like crazy. It does. Now, the vast majority are in America, but number two, Singapore. Number three, Spain. Number four, United Kingdom. You're doing all right, lads. Paraguay, I have no accent for that. Russia, Canada, Canada where all the way down there, I've been nice to you. I like Canada. You're, you're kind of almost Breton. Anyway, India and Germany, those are our top here. Uh, and they don't give us the others. But also, a thank you from all of us to Derek Glover, who on his own and no cost to us, put this up and does all the work. Even when he was going through a particularly tough time in his life, he did that. And Derek, thank you. That's massive. All right, you ready? We've had a look at our Bibles. And many of you may be in a place of confusion, while some of you are in a place of joy. The confusion people are the ones where you're going, okay, well then, if, um, if this was rewritten and this was done this, well then how can I trust the rest of it? I get that. I do. There are a whole lot of reasons to trust the bulk of Scripture. And the other parts are there to point us to that. And so there's not a word wasted. It's a great book. And it's there for a reason. I believe God gave it to us. Others are in a place of joy because they don't feel like they've got to defend God ordering the death of babies. And I get that too. So let's take some topics just to help us. And we'll go one by one through scripture. And it will help us to train to see things through the eyes of Jesus. Including our scripture. Rather like a hunter is trained to see things in the woods. Or a meteorologist is trained to, to know the weather by looking at the clouds. I saw a Twitter post that said, you know, the most common clouds and what they mean. And I thought, very cool. It wasn't. It had 15 different clouds and they had lots of names. And I'm going, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to memorize these clouds. I'm going to hit the app when I want to know. But it's fascinating. They look up and they see something entirely different. A pilot looks at the sky a lot different than I do. And on and on and on. Let's be trained with the eyes of Jesus. To not only read our Bibles through his eyes, but to look at people and matters of justice and injustice through the eyes of Jesus. That'll never fit in a political party. You will offend everybody if you act like Jesus. They might even nail you to a tree. But our kingdom is, his kingdom is not of this world. 
we are pilgrims and strangers. And we need to remember that as we pass through. We have a king. And we follow him. Well, are things in the Bible hidden? Are we going to reveal hidden knowledge? Mainly not. And the reason I say that is there's a way you could use the word hidden. That it would be true. Some things are hidden to our Western eyes. Some things are hidden to us because language is developed in a very different way. And we see things in a very different way. When we write, we want precision. We want everything in order. And we have concepts which were completely unknown to the people of the Bible times. Have you ever noticed that it'll say something like thousands and thousands and tens of thousands? Well, why doesn't it just say 815,560? Well, because they didn't know numbers like 800,000 existed. Have you ever used Roman numerals? Try to write contemporary knowledge of numbers, distances of stars, population in Roman numerals. I dare you. It is brutal. They didn't do it because they didn't need it. They just say thousands to mean everything. We have words for that. We have words for infinity. Nobody had the concept of infinity. That came up as a matter of the Renaissance and the science that came behind that. Once we know that, that helps. Have you ever had a good uh, Shakespeare teacher? Don't, don't at me. They exist. I had Miss Boswell. Uh, if you're still alive, I've looked for you for a while just to send you a card saying thank you. Miss Boswell taught me to love words. And she taught a Shakespeare class that I did not want to take, but I had to have something at 9 o'clock. Everybody understand that? There was a 9 o'clock hole. And she opened up Shakespeare by telling us what in the world he was talking about. When he called somebody mischievous, it, to us, that would be the worst insult you could say. Well, we didn't get that. When a guy goes, I'll bite my thumb at you, we're going, what? She opened that up. She explained what that meant. When um, a woman was referred to as a hussy, and all it meant was housewife, we needed to know that material. We need to know how to read these words. And there's a reason. We have an inbuilt, I believe it's because we are created in the image of God, an inbuilt knowledge that the world is wrong. And we have a cry in our heart for justice. Babies cry because something is extremely wrong. They used to be all wadded up in a warm, wet place that was comfy. Now, it's bright and yellow and screaming and things are around and you don't get fed automatically. Used to. Fed by tube was working great. Wasn't your idea to end that. And then, as you grow older, children learn the world is not fair because we teach them. We'll tell them to do something called share. Oh, excuse me. To a child who's in pre-concrete operations, it's a psych term, just anybody under five, uh, who can't understand death forever and the like, that's pre-concrete operations. And you tell them, well, share your toy. To them, share means give away. That's unjust. This was theirs. It was given to them by a loving grandmother. Now grandma's gone and you want me to hand this off to this stranger. This is wrong. But they will also see a child with a toy. I don't have that toy. 
they do. This is inequitable. This must be solved. I will take the toy. (laughs) And we grow up and we never get out of that. Unless we dull our senses and refuse to look. We need to see injustice. We need to see that things are wrong. We are supposed to be upset. Not not, um, perpetually outraged. Some people make a TV career of being outraged about everything. And if ever they had a good day, their radio or their TV career would be gone. Their Twitter's follows would drop. But we need to see something and go, that's not okay. I can remember my wife and I used to live in Colorado, which is her home. And I was asked to speak at Pepperdine University. And um, they, it was a very tight budget uh, for the speakers. So instead of flying us, I just drove us from Colorado to um, Malibu. What a horrible thing we had to endure for you. It was beautiful. Absolutely stunning. We thought, let's go back the southern route through Arizona. And like every place we saw, stunningly beautiful, except for a little bit of desert in California. And the worst place was what the land we put the Native Americans on. Everything else was green and wonderful. But we moved them from the eastern mountains and valleys and rivers and put them where nobody else wanted land. And you're going, that's unjust. You should be able to see that and say, that's not fair. Even if you don't have a solution, which by the way, I don't. Something within us, something placed there by God himself when he made us in his image, cries out for justice. Especially whenever we look around and no human... And no human institution escapes the rot. Churches, schools, governments, even the family, all have fault lines. This should not surprise us. The first human family was split by murder. The very first one. The Bible goes to great pains to show us that every person has been broken. And in turn, breaks others. Every person has been broken and in turn breaks others. We lash out with our hurt. We cry out for justice, but not always. By the way, Christians and Jews are not the only ones to have noticed this. The Egyptians and the Greeks spent a lot of time thinking about these things. Matters of justice and a problem. How can there be a reckoning when somebody has harmed people all of their lives. And they have destroyed families and children and taken over lands and put people through the meat grinder and they sit around eating great food and one day die in their sleep. Where is the justice? So their philosophers and their poets developed a very rich, detailed, and vivid picture of the afterlife. And it wasn't good. Uh, the river sticks, some of us know that. Yes, the rock group named themselves after that for reasons I could not begin to guess. But there were um, the whole thing about the, the many-headed hound of hell. All of those things came from these philosophers and poets and more. Bart Ehrman is an atheist who sometimes calls himself an agnostic. And I, I, I let people call themselves what they are, so I, I, that doesn't bother me one way or the other wrote a book called The History of Hell. It was an eye-opener 
Because he went back, he's not talking about Christian hell. He's going way back and showing what those words meant when Jesus walked around. Because Egyptian Greek culture had brought these concepts of what happens in the afterlife. Just real quick, nobody got off well in the afterlife. Nobody. You walked around in this formless, dark wandering. An endless and hollow cry for help that would never come. The medieval church picked up that story and built on it. Not from Jesus, but from older times. In fact, there's something that you need to know. Go look for a theology of the afterlife in the Hebrew scriptures. It isn't there. They don't talk about it. It, It's a little disappointing, frankly, for us, because we want all these answers. There are glimpses, but they seem to be confused and vague on the details. For example, there is no doubting in the Hebrew scriptures at all that God is good and that God's righteousness requires him to take vengeance on those who do evil. I believe it. The Bible teaches it. But how does he do that? When? That's not given to us in the Hebrew scriptures. Job fascinates me on many levels. He knows he has a redeemer. He's the first one to state that. He knows he has a mediator. He's the first one to state that. He also says, I know if I die, and this really surprises me, I will walk again on this earth. Job, how do you know that? Because nobody else is talking about that in the Hebrew scriptures. Not a one. And then later he'll tell God, I've been your friend, God. And if you let me die... You're going to miss me. I love that. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> this is um, where I'm not dying in any way except that we all are. So there's your peppy t-shirt for the day. He says, if you don't step in and prevent my death, you're going to lose a friend and you're going to miss me. And yet he also says, I know I'll walk again on the earth. It's very confusing. But I love Job because, frankly, I get confused too. Do you not get confused sometimes? I had had a, a lady recently, and by the way, this happens frequently, who came to me stunned about the death of her loving, faithful mother because her mother was a person of amazing faith right up to the time of dying and then got afraid of dying. And she was going, well, what? how do I handle this? I mean, is faith worth, if you lose it while you're dying... When we die, it's new. And you've never done it before. I was nervous at our wedding. Not nervous about being married to Cammie. I was all in there. Happy about it. It's about all the stuff you have to do first. You stand up in front of people and clothes that you just grabbed. And, you know, now there's music and everybody's looking at you, looking at it. Okay, what's the face going to be like? I'll, I'll tell you, I lost control of every major muscle group. But I wasn't afraid of marrying Cammy. It was the newness, the oddness of the experience. So I, as I always say when I get this question, perhaps a dozen times a year, is Jesus understands the dying process. If you remember, he even said, God, why did you leave me? He showed us, this is common, Well, by the way, 
there's no question that the Hebrew scriptures are very interested in righteousness. But if you have noticed, they're very interested in you living faithfully and righteously in this present world and doling out justice in a present world. But there seems to be little thought about going to heaven or heaven as a place at all. And there's no concept of hell in the Old Testament. None. God punished people by ending them. They went down to the grave, Sheol. They went down to the pit, Sheol. They were gone now. Like King Ahab, if you read that story, God punished him by killing him. Okay, then what? Hebrew scriptures say nothing. Then we come to the New Testament, and immediately we are thrown into a terrible, horrible world where Herod has the ability without sanction or army stopping him just to declare any boy who's two years old or younger in Bethlehem will be killed. Well, it, it doesn't really give me any comfort to realize Bethlehem being a village probably of no more than 300. You may be talking about one or two boys. That, I, what kind of monster would you have to be to go, well, you know, it's only a couple. We look at that and we go, this is horrible. And yet there's not one mention in the story about Herod going to hell or being warned about it. As opposed to all of the medieval church stories that were full of hell and torment. Have you ever read Dante's Divine Comedy? I read my dad's library because that's the internet hadn't come along. There weren't malls. I read my dad's library. And I remember I picked up because I thought I like to laugh. And there was a book, Dante's Divine Comedy. And dad said, comedy meant something else back then. He tried to explain it. I read the book. It wasn't fun. It's all about hell. It's all about hell in amazing details. The only thing I've seen in contemporary art that tried to really show what it was like was an old Robin Williams movie, What Dreams May Come. And if you haven't found, it may be streaming somewhere. If you want to know what was Plato's hell like, which is what people thought hell was like, the medieval church adopted it. What was the hell of the Egyptians and the Greeks all about? That's a good representation. Or get like a Cliff's Notes or something on the Divine Comedy. Or if you want to read it on your own, well done. I'm not reading it again. But then let's skip forward. There's none of that there. To the letters of Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote more of our books, if not exactly of words of the New Testament, than any other author. He never mentions hell. Not one word of it. He didn't even hint of it. And that is stunning to me. When I first realized that, so I went back and reread them a couple more times looking. Nope. The closest... His letters ever come is to say that God will destroy the one who is evil. And it might mean Satan. It might mean a person. But to destroy them, there's no mention of a lingering fire. That is justice, by the way. I mean, that's what people do. Most of the countries that are watching us right now do not have a death penalty. In America, for those of you that are watching, every state has its own uh, freedom to make a lot of laws. And one of them is to whether have the death penalty or not. 
Um, there will be a Monday morning message about that. I've recorded it so far back. I don't remember which Monday. It might even be tomorrow. Um, we all know that sometimes justice doesn't look like justice to one side or the other. If you've lost your children because a man, a maniac killed them and he goes and lives in a prison for 20 years, you probably don't feel, well, we're even now. And I'm going to tell you something. If they kill him, you're not going to feel like you're even. So what do we do with that? We feel an ache, don't we? There should be a better balancing of the books. Now let's get back to Jesus. Oh, by the way, the other epistle writers never mention hell. So we go back. The Revelation does, but it also mentions a lot of things that are metaphors. So we'll get to that next week. Next week's title is, We Need to Talk About Hell. We're actually not talking about hell today. (laughs) You might be fooled. We're talking about justice. Jesus spoke of destruction and the fires, and we are absolutely going to look at that. But he didn't talk much about it. Even two or three hundred years later, when the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed were written, have you ever noticed what's not in there? No mention of torment, no mention of punishment, no mention. And now the Apostles' Creed mentions hell, but it's not a place of torment. Instead, it's where the dead people go. It says, He went and descended into hell and freed them. You don't. Even 300 years after, we weren't talking about people going to heaven and going to hell. That may very well surprise you. It certainly did me. But here's where we run into a set of serious problems. The definitions of words change. And sometimes we don't have the same definition that the writers of Scripture had. Words such as hell, Gehenna, the valley of Hennam, Sheol, death, the grave, and eternal. They had real understandable, provable, you can prove that this is their definition, that have been lost because we look at it through our eyes. If we go back and look at it through their eyes, and you can do this, by the way, you don't have to be an expert in Greek and Hebrew. I'm certainly not. But I'm going to show you a little something today just to whet your appetite for next week. All right? So don't look for three points in a poem today. We're not wrapping anything up. We're not going to solve 2,000 years of mystery in 30 plus minutes. I had to look up there because Dave puts a clock on me. He always asks me for the numbers. You know, how long? And I'll give him a number and we'll both laugh and we'll laugh. These things are not hidden. There's not a Genesis code. It's merely we read it through our own enculturated eyes and um, we're going to talk about that too but right now the medieval church took over Plato's view of the afterlife and imposed it upon the words we see today and one of the greatest villains in this story is also a hero in the Christian church he is both people are not cartoons Augustine or normally called Augustine the first father of the church in Catholic terms translated scripture into Latin but he he used pretty interesting definitions. And he was not a fun guy to be around. And he put a lot of stuff in there in his commentaries. It's not his translation that gives us his problems. It's his commentaries, his writings. He developed an entire horrific, completely imagine, un, imaginary tableau 
of torture and despair that came right from Plato and it was woven into the story of the church. He wrote that hell was full of unbaptized babies who scream in pain for eternity and cry for the mother who didn't have them baptized. Well, that didn't come from scripture. If you're thinking this is a, oh, by the way, and he says it's a good thing and it's a sign that we follow a just God. And if you're thinking this is Catholic bashing, it isn't. Hang on, we're going to bash other people now. John Calvin said that hell was full of babies, not even a cubit long. A cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your finger. You had to have the same guy do the measuring. If you had a different contractor, it was a problem. But he said, hell was full of babies, only a cubit long. Not even a cubit long. And the medieval church even taught, and they, you can find their writings, and Calvin was one of them, that one of the pleasures of heaven was that we would get to sit in a gallery and watch the unfaithful people scream in torment forever. That's a pleasure to them. I don't know what kind of amoral, twisted thing would make somebody say this, but it was official doctrine of Protestants and Catholics. And it didn't come from here. It didn't come from the Bible. I, by the way, I'm going to hit a little dig here, then we're going to move on. The people who are always looking for the end of the world and Armageddon is coming and there's going to be this big battle and I think are not far removed from those who want to sit in the galleries and watch the fire because they're talking about we get to fight the evil people and they get and, and swords and there'll be blood up to the reins. Yeah, let's not use Revelation as a how-to book. I don't think that's what it means. And all this to me is stomach-turning and it's untrue. There is justice. Yes, there is punishment. God's righteousness demands justice. But it also demands that it is tempered by his mercy and love, which I must remind all of us, he says... Never ends. Now, go back and read through the Bible again. Yeah, I'm serious. Read through it again and look for wrath and love. Every time he brings up love, it never ends. Every time he brings up wrath, it does. There are no exceptions. I am now turning you loose to look. Remember when I said that the early creeds did not include a mention of a place of punishment for those who refuse to know or accept God? You might be surprised that many of the greatest leaders of the early church, such as Gregory of Nyssa or Origen of North Africa, were unabashed universalists. Now, universalists have many different stripes, like pacifism has many different stripes, and you can't paint them all in the same way. Most of them don't believe that you get to go right to heaven no matter how evil you've been. They believe there is punishment there. But even the great Scottish mystery novelist George MacDonald, that many of you have read, knew himself not as a writer, but as a minister. And he preached sermons that you can go read for free on the internet. They're amazing about how eventually all are saved. Not immediately. Well, by the way, when Augustine came along, and uh, he referred in a derogatory way to those who believe that eventually all are saved as the misericords, the tenderhearted, 
And that was considered an insult. A lot of us came from churches that were a little rough, but people, there were rougher churches. So we need to talk about hell. And we will next week in detail. But in the moments we have left, I want to run through one word that gives us problems. It's a Greek word, A-I-O-N, Ion. And if you're thinking it sounds like eon, you're dead on. It means an age, a period of time. And yet, when, it's inter- when it is translated in Scripture, especially King James, who was a Scotsman, and I'd like to apologize for some of those things that, that he made sure happened there, it always comes off as eternal. But that's not a problem, really. It occurs 400 times in Scripture and an extra 100 times in an adjectival form. And it always, denote, always denotes an age, great or small. In Hebrew, the word is olam. In English letters, O-L-A-M. And it is always, always, always limited. I'm going to give you some examples now. How long was Jonah in the belly of the well? Well, we'll say three days, won't we? Because that's what the book says. But you know the book also says he was in the belly of the well for eternity. He was eternally forever in the belly of the whale. It's chapter 2, verse 6. If you, you see, eternal to them meant until it ends, until God's purposes is done with that event. So he was in there until he was ready to go to Nineveh. You know, so it was eternally in there. By the way, I think if I was in the belly of a whale or any creature, frankly, I would consider it an eternity from the first swallow. A Moabite. Remember we talk about this. Was forbidden to enter the congregation of the Lord forever. Or, same verse, until the 10th generation. Which one is it? To us, that's a contradiction. It is not to Semitic people, even to this day. Forever means until it's done. Have you listened to war talk from Semitic people? Afghanis, Iraqis? Uh, Persians, you know, the, the Iranians, uh, Lebanons, you know, Leban- any of the Semitic people. And they'll talk about, we will bomb you forever and we will kill you. For-. Do they really think eternity? No. I mean, until it's done. I can prove it. The scripture says a slave serves forever until they die. The Mosaic covenant, how many times in the Old Testament, will last forever. And then God tells Moses, but when it ends, well, and especially Jeremiah, I will bring a new covenant with a new people, with all people. We're not replacing the Jews. It's all people. Um, the ironic, not ironic, Aaronic priesthood is forever. And Jesus warned them that it would end if they rejected him, and it ended in 70 AD when the, when the um, I almost said Russians. I've been watching too much news. When, when the Romans took Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and the records, and there's not a Jew today who can tell you if they're a Levite or they're from uh, you know, Judah or they're, what tribe they're from. The records are gone. So it was forever until it wasn't. God said, I will dwell in Solomon's temple forever. It ended up being about a generation and a half. Was God lying? No. That's not the way they use the word. Circumcision was a covenant forever. Not now. Because it served its purpose. It is done. Uh, Animal sacrifice was listed as an eternal ordinance. Until it isn't. 
Israel was to undergo judgment forever until 70 years when they could return. You see that? Once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it. That eternal means something different in scripture than we had thought. So, here's the first question. I'm just going to answer this now, although we'll talk about it on another Sunday. People go, no, wait. It says eternal destruction and eternity with God. Well, then how long? All right, what is God's whole, whole purpose? From the very beginning, walking in the garden to the advent of Christ, peace on earth, goodwill with men. I have not come into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but to save it. God is not willing that any should perish. What is God's eternal purpose? To live with us. So don't worry that you're time limited in heaven. We'll be there in our term for eternity. But eternally destroyed means you're gone. The purpose is over. You're not back. So we'll work more on that next week. Because I knew that was a question popping up in people's heads. So does the word eternal mean nothing? No, it's, it matters what it's put next to. Think of the word tall. We had a tall glass of water, a tall man, a tall building. What does the word tall mean? It all depends upon what you're talking about. The same with big. It all depends upon what you're talking about. Eternal what? Now, Jesus did say eternal punishment. We're going to look at that next week. So let's not be excited about hell. <laughs> I've had people go, oh, we have to have a hell. People want their justice, and I get that. I get that. I get that. I want justice too. I learned early on in my first prayer crises as a young man were that certain people didn't explode because I prayed for it, and I was diligent, <laughs> And I thought, well, we're supposed to get what we pray for. That human being still existed. I was not always a kind individual, not the cherubic figure you see before you. For Job, uh, for Jonah, rather, Ion, eternal, was three days. For the Aaronic priesthood, it was 400 years. So is there punishment? Yes. Jesus said so. In Luke chapter 12, Verses 47 and 48. And in another passage, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, Jesus speaks of punishment, but he uses a word, Colossus. If you want to look it up again, these are the English transliteration, K-O-L-A-S-I-S. It is always used. You get any lexicon, any word study book, I have never found an exception. Colossus is always used for remedial temporary punishment not trillions of years Colossus in fact if you go to a Greek Koine the, the, version, of the, uh, the version of Greek in the Bible if you go to a, a lexicon you go to your study book there you'll find that Colossus is always for the good of the sufferer you know I am not um advocating for what I'm about to bring up. Singapore, which evidently is number two on our podcast list, they will cane you over minor things. And it hurts. And it's supposed to be. And they have no major crime. Murder, rape, burglary, robbery, it is unknown. Now, why? Because they want to they stop early. Now, do I want to live in a society that's as regimented and has all that? No. No, I do not. So I'm not, what I'm saying is, 
That would be Colossus. Punishment that says, we're punishing you so that you can stay in society. Instead of removing them. By the way, Paul does mention that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 15. He talks about people who will be saved though through fire. You ever notice that one? So hell is not, we'll talk more next week. It's not a forever place. It's a punishment refining place. And you might think, well, it's still horrible to think that people are going to go burn for a while. Please understand the words used in scripture to describe otherworldly things are metaphors. Because that's all we have for otherworldly things. We'll talk more. But join us as we continue this next week. And we're going to have to do some work. To strip away the many, many layers of paint and varnish and wallpaper and carpets. To get to the wisdom and the truth in our scripture. And when seen through the life and teaching of Jesus. Who calls himself and is called, as in the reading today, the Prince of Peace. That it's good news. Goodwill toward us. Don't let a medieval concept that was borrowed or stolen from Plato and earlier. To hide the love and the purpose of God in creating all of us. I will just say I agree. When he said peace, goodwill unto all, he meant it. Yes, there's justice. And yeah, a lot of this, we're just going to have to trust him. Because he didn't tell us much about it. There were three who got the peak behind the window that I can remember in scripture. Daniel saw some things and he was told you can't write that. Paul saw some things when he was dead or not dead. Remember he writes about that. Whether in the body or out of the body, I know not. He said, I saw some things that's not lawful for me to talk about. And in Revelation, John's writing like crazy because the angel will even tell him. And Jesus will tell him, write this, write this. And then something happens and the angel goes, you can't write that. There's something out there. But it doesn't scare me a bit. Because the character of God revealed in scripture and revealed in the person of Christ. I am not afraid. And I'm not afraid for you. I had a friend, really good man. And he came to me once in tears. He'd had some sin in his life. All of us do. We're all broken and we break in return. Um, and by the way, I don't throw that off. I hope I'm open enough for you to know that I'm broken. My scars will never heal. I will break others even if I don't want to because I'm a human being. You only see me on the stage. You ought to see when I get off the stage. I try to be the same person, but not always. I didn't think all cherubic thoughts about people who cut me off in traffic this last week. I tried. I tried. I can't pull off the Tennessee curse of bless their heart. It just doesn't work for me. But I want to tell you, he cried his heart out. And I, I said, you were baptized. You've already asked forgiveness. God loves you. And he said, but I, I, I worry about hell. And I said, don't worry about hell. We're not going to let you go to hell. God's not going to do that. We need to talk about hell. And we need to talk more about justice. Next week.